0: God's presence, God's people, God's purpose, God's plan. These have always been the essential ingredients of the Church. We find a recording of Jesus's birth, life, death, and resurrection in the Gospel of Luke. That letter was the first of a two-part work, the second being the Book of Acts. In this letter, Luke recalls Jesus's ascension and commission, the spread of the Gospels, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through the early Church. In the past, God's presence was with His people in one place at one time. But early on in Acts, Pentecost occurs and God's promised Holy Spirit is unleashed in power, filling those who would receive and overflowing to those around them. With this new Holy Spirit power, the church began to explode, stirring among thousands as the message grew and spread. The mission of the church has been made clear by Jesus Himself. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now, more than 2,000 years later, God's presence is still being unleashed among God's people. And we are part of God's continued purpose and God's continued plan as the Holy Spirit moves in and through us.
1: When Bruce Olson was 14 years old, he realized he wanted a closer relationship with Jesus. So one night, he lay on his bed, he raised his hands to the ceiling, and simply said, God, I know you're there. I know you have a plan for my life. Here am I, send me. Well, God would lead him to a pretty solid Bible-believing church that also believed in sending out missionaries all over the world. And God would plant a seed in this teenager's heart to be a missionary in Columbia, South America. So the year was 1961, uh, Bruce sold all of his, his belongings, he had graduated high school, and with $70 in his pocket, he bought a one-way ticket to Columbia. He got off the plane, and he went to one of the larger churches that sent out missionaries in the area, and they wouldn't even give him the time of day. So he was stuck in Colombia, and he said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? God placed it on his heart to go out and reach the Modelone Indians. Now, here's the thing the Modelone Indians of Colombia, no one had ever reached them and lived to tell about it. So, this young teenager puts on his backpack and he starts walking out into the jungles at where he meets the Modelone Indians, and he's shot, and he's captured, and he's beaten. And so he decides to live out the Sermon on the Mount. He knows he's called to that season with the Modolones. He lives out the Sermon on the Mount. They can't get rid of him. He learns their language. He learns their customs. And eventually, he would be able to talk to them about Jesus. But it would be five years before he would earn that right to be heard. Pretty soon, the entire Modalone Indian tribe would, to, would convert to Christianity, and Bruce Olson and the way he did missionary work would change the way Western missionaries do missionary work around the world. He had hope that overcame his fear during a time of his calling. Have you ever considered that a calling takes great great courage? Whether you're called to be a mom or a missionary, a pastor or a pet groomer, all of us are called in certain seasons of our lives to do certain things. Sometimes it's a, a short-term calling, sometimes it's a seasonal calling, sometimes it's a lifelong calling, and living out that calling can be scary, such is what we're going to talk about today. In fact, if you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this, Jesus will change your life. He will give courage to fill out or do that calling that he gives you. Jesus will transform your life when you receive him as your Savior and Lord. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, and he gives you the power and the courage to overcome any fear when it comes to your calling. Well, God's got a lot to say about that as we continue on in our summer series on the book of Acts. I'm excited about today's teaching because we're going to see the Apostle Paul living out this main idea. We're going to be at the end of Acts 21 and all of Acts 22, and we're going to see the power of a testimony, and we're gonna see how it affects us in a very real and powerful way. So turn in your Bibles to Acts 21. Let me set the scene for what's happening. Go back with me 2,000 years ago and some change. Uh, The year is approximately 33 AD. Jesus goes to the cross, he dies, he's buried, he's resurrected, the most important event in history. Now fast forward 50 days from that. It's Pentecost, a, a time when people from all nations come to the temple, the Jewish people, to worship God. Jesus uses that occasion to pour out his Holy Spirit, not only on on the disciples, but the beginnings of this thing called the way, which is Christianity, which would become the church. And the beautiful thing about that is he gives us now the ability to receive his Holy Spirit and experience him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, the Apostle Paul has been on the go. He's done three missionary journeys. Pastor Bob uh, talked about uh, Paul's last missionary journey, his third missionary journey last week. Paul has gone out to a bunch of churches within the region. And what he does is he takes up an offering. And he has an offering for the poor that he's going to bring to Jerusalem. What he wants to do is show the church in Jerusalem that all the churches are in this thing called the way together. So he drops off the offering, and it's Pentecost. That's important in our story. All these people from different nations at the temple. This is A.D. 57. So we're a couple decades after Jesus' resurrection. It's A.D. 57. And, and uh, Paul's at the temple, and when he walks into the temple, a riot ensues. The reason is that someone accuses Paul of bringing a non-Jewish man, non-Jewish people are called Gentiles, a non-Jewish man into the Jewish area. It's a crime punishable by death in the Judaic law. So a riot breaks out, people are coming after Paul like a bunch of candy crazed kids uh, coming after a pinata and they're beating the dog snot out of him. Next door to the temple, is this place called the Fortress of Antonia. It's where the commander of the guard and the Roman guards, it's their, basically their headquarters. Now the commander of the guard, we're gonna find out in the next chapter in Acts 23, is a guy named Claudius Lucius. He is the senior guy from Rome in Jerusalem. And, and, and so he sees all of this that's going on. He dispatches a bunch of uh, troops over to the temple. He's gonna squelch a riot. So the the guards grab Paul, they put him in chains, and they bring him over to the fortress of Antonia. They come up the stairs, and Paul and the commander are standing on the stairs. The crowd is there. They have bloodlust. They want to kill Paul. That's where our story picks up today. Now, remember our main idea, uh, that that Jesus will change your life. He'll give you courage for your calling. And before I go on, I always want to give credit where credit's due. Uh, I, I use Dr. Chuck Swindoll's commentary extensively in today's teaching. For those of you who are using that commentary, you'll recognize some of the words. Okay, Acts 21, verse 37. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he, Paul, asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek, the commander replied. Okay, this is a big deal because Paul, you're gonna see in this whole story, he's gotta earn the right to be heard. He's gonna try to take control of a very chaotic situation. He earns the right to be heard first with the commander and then with the people. With the commander, what he does is he speaks Greek. Now, if you spoke Greek in that time, and the level of Greek that Paul spoke, probably without accent, at a very high level, it could get you out of some tough situations. Your accent said a lot, and how you spoke said a lot about who you were. And you may be going, man, what a bunch of uh, rednecks. Oh, really? Two words for you, swamp people. I love swamp people. I get Fridays off every Friday. My escape is I go to, to, to watch swamp people on the Discovery Channel. I love Troy and his boy, and I love Liz and her daughter, and they're out there killing gators. They're getting their tags. They're from the bayou of Louisiana, and anytime you have a camera in front of them, you have to have subtitles. If you're a native English speaker, born and raised in the United States, and you have to have subtitles when you speak, you might be a redneck. I love this show, but we're the same. Come on, we make judgments all the time. So we can't say, oh, those, those ancient people are just so, you know, redneck. Well, at least I make judgments like that all the time. God forgive me. Things haven't changed in a few thousand years. Okay, so Paul is talking to the commander in Greek. He's trying to get hold of the situation. He's earning the right to be heard with with the commander, and then he's going to earn the right to be heard with the people. So what? So let's uh, so uh, let's keep on going. Verses thirty-eight through through forty. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led four thousand terrorists out in the desert some time ago? The commander said. Okay, let's stop right there. It's 57 AD, three years before this, 54 AD. There are these, uh, about 4,000 insurgents in, in the, uh, the desert of Egypt, and they're causing a whole bunch of problems. And they're following some reclusive leader that they worship like the Messiah. And this is speculation, but my guess is that Commander Claudius does not want to be in Jerusalem. No one in Rome really wanted to be assigned to the armpit of the world called Palestine. That's the way they looked at it. So my guess is, he's like, I, I've got the guy. I've got the leader of this insurgency. I'm gonna get out of this place. I'm gonna get to go to Rome. It's gonna be good living for me. I'm gonna get a promotion. Uh, Paul puts a damper on that. Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. So he's not only spoken Greek to this commander. Now then he's saying, listen, this rabble out here, I'm Jewish, I can talk to them. And oh, by the way, I'm from Tarsus in Cilicia. That's a very important Roman town. So now then he's getting the creds with with Claudius. He says, please let me speak to this people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motion to the crowd. Okay, so uh, Paul didn't do some form of weird motion. What he did was called back then an orator's gesture. An orator's gesture was simply this. He would stand up, uh, uh, whoever's speaking would stand up and do this, and people would recognize that he's ready to speak, and then they'd be quiet. It's kind of like in Explorers League when the kids are going crazy and the teacher's like, Jesus' voices, children, Jesus' voices, turn down your warehouse voice. Okay, maybe it's not like that, but that's what Paul did. So it's an order's gesture. Let's keep on going, verses 40 through chapter 22, verse three. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic. Okay, some of you are, are looking in your Bibles right now and it says it's a, a Hebrew or a Hebrew dialect. Biblical scholars have been doing this. What exactly is it? The direct translation is, uh, is a Hebrew dialect, so let's just call it Hebrew just to keep it simple. When they were all silent, he said to them in Hebrew, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speaking to them in Hebrew, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. This city's Jerusalem. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. So he's earning the right to be heard. He's being obedient to what God has called him to. So he gets control of the crowd, and then he starts speaking Hebrew to them. Why is that? Well, first of all, it's Pentecost, so you got all these people from different nations speaking different languages there in the temple, but they all understand Hebrew. If it's Aramaic, which is a, a sister uh, language of Hebrew, they, they, many would understand that, and they have to lean in close to hear him. So now then, he's gonna give his credentials. He says, yeah, I was brought up in, in Tarsus, uh, and he just skips right over that because he, he, the Jewish people don't wanna hear that, but I was really raised in this city, Jerusalem. That's important because the Jewish people to this day look at Jerusalem as the holiest city on the planet and the place from which all shalom, all peace comes from. And then he starts giving his academic credentials. He said, I studied here under this guy named Gamaliel. Now, when he said that, when he dropped G-Dog's name, everybody in that crowd, I guarantee you went, whoa, because that's a big deal. Gamaliel was the most respected rabbi and teacher of the Mosaic law of that time. And what would happen if you're a young man and you want to become a rabbi, uh, you would choose a rabbi to study under. And if he allowed you to study under him, he'd put you through a lot of gates. And Gamaliel's gates were tough gates to go through. So the fact that Paul studied under Gamaliel was a big deal. It's like me, I say, hey, I went to University of Kansas, Rock Chalk, Jayhawk. And then there's someone from Harvard going, oh, I went to Harvard. So Gamaliel is a big deal. His grandfather is a guy named Hillel and he founded the Pharisee sect. So Paul mentions all of this because he's earning the right to be heard. Paul says, listen, I'm zealous, you're zealous, we've been zealous together. Now let me tell you a story and now we're gonna see the power of a testimony. Here we go, verses four and five. I persecuted the followers of this way, this way is Christianity, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as also the high priest and the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus, and I went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So now he's saying, okay, guys, you're religious. I'm religious. I got a rough past. I did some tough things, and what we're going to do now over the next several passages is we're going to see Paul living out a calling in the moment we're going to see Paul laying out his testimony. We're going to see the power of a testimony. Take note. It's a Jewish audience, so take note of his, how he speaks to them in very Jewish terms. Verses 6 through 9. About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Okay, when you guys read scripture, like if you're in the Old Testament, are you like me? You you hear the voice of James Earl Jones or Morgan Freeman. Anybody do that? Yes, thank you. Hallelujah, three of us need therapy. So when I hear the voice of Jesus, I can't do James Earl Jones or Morgan Freeman. I picture, I hear the voice of of Pastor Brian. Yeah, get that one out of your ears. Can't unlisten to that. Who are you, Lord, I asked. Oh, I need therapy. I'm Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. So he talks first about a vision. He says, I I had this vision, and that's not a weird thing. We could think that's a weird thing. We could be thinking, yeah, Paul probably went to cannabis shop and and had too many gummy bears. But no, when he has a vision, that's a big deal. The prophets in that time and the prophets in the Old Testament, all of them had visions. In fact, if you go back to Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision. Having a vision is not a big deal. But then all of a sudden, Jesus the Messiah is having a conversation with Saul. Saul has, Saul is his Jewish name, Paul is his Greek and his Christian name. So Jesus the Messiah talks to Saul and he addresses him by his Jewish name. He says, Saul, Saul. And so as he's talking to Jesus, that's, or Jesus is talking to Saul, that's important because it's showing the people that the Messiah is alive. At that time, there's a thing called the resurrection rumor. It occurs all the way up to this day. We still fight the resurrection rumor. It goes something like this. He had this, this man named Jesus. He was a rabbi. He was a very solid teacher. He was a good man. Uh, he, he was a prophet, uh, but, but he claimed to be God and that was blasphemous. So what happened is uh, the Jewish people sent him to the cross. This is the resurrection. rumor. they sent him to the cross. Uh, at the, uh, Rome abided by that, that request. Uh, he goes to the cross. He dies and he's buried. You have 12 followers and a bunch of other followers, but the 12 followers are the core. Uh, the, the core 12 followers are Boohoo and really hard one in fact he kills himself Judas and so you got these 11 followers so in the middle of the night they go into the tomb they steal the body from the grave they bury him and they say he's resurrected and now you got this crazy thing called Christianity all based on a myth and we've debunked that many times from this stage the point is Saul is showing his Jewish brethren that that resurrection rumor is is defunct because Jesus is alive verses 10 through 13. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you, you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. So there's a calling and there's an assignment here. My com- companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. Okay, so now, now look at Ananias, look who he is. He's a, he was a devout observer of the law, the Mosaic law, and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. So let's talk about this. Let's go back to Jesus. Because our, our, our hero of the story is not Paul. Our hero of the story is Jesus. The hero of every one of our stories from this platform has to be Jesus, whether we're in the Old Testament or the New Testament or our preaching is flat and flat out wrong. So Jesus is the hero. And what he shows us here, he says to to Paul, he says to Saul, get up and go. Have you ever considered that whenever you have an encounter with God, there's usually a command that follows it? Think about it. Let me just give you some, some illustrations from Scripture. Abraham. I have chosen you. Now get up and go, circumcise your men. I've got a covenant with you that's gonna bless the entire world. Moses, I've chosen you. Now get up and go, throw down with Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Mary, I've chosen you. Now you're gonna be impregnated by the Holy Spirit and I need you to get up and go and raise my son Jesus. Peter, Cephas, I've chosen you drop your nets get up and go and be a fisher of men and whenever we see this in scripture what we usually see what we always see is a choice and the choice is either to be obedient to what god has called you to or to say jam it god i'm doing it on my own i'm not gonna i'm not gonna listen to you and that never works out really well for that person and that's important for us because a calling demands obedience a calling demands obedience God can call you to do something <clears throat> very specifically. He can say, I want you to change your major from something in college right now because I, I, I've got a different way for you to use your intellect to honor me and build your kingdom or build my kingdom. It can be very specific. And I, 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 I've got someone in your office today who's going to be by themselves and who is going through something, and I need you to reflect me in their lives. Or there's someone in school sitting alone at the, in the cafeteria. I want you to go to them. I got a calling for you in this moment. It's very specific. I want you to sell all of your things and go be a missionary. I want you to change the way you're doing your business to honor me and, and bring glory to me and my kingdom through your business. Some callings are very specific. But some of them are, are generic. Generic. Many of us are waiting for God. What are you wanting me to do? You're kind of like Bruce Olson laying in bed. I know you're there. Here am I. Send me. And God says two things. I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want you to love others like you want to be loved. Treat them because they're made in my image. And I'll show you what to do. No matter what, a calling demands obedience. But here's the thing. Too often in life, we expect God's blessings through inconsistent obedience. Don't expect consistent blessings if you have inconsistent obedience. God calls on us to be consistently obedient if we want to witness his blessings, but here's the thing about that. Bad things are still going to happen to good people. We still live in a fallen world. We've preached about suffering many, many times from here. But if you're wanting consistent blessings from God, you need to be consistently obedient. We see that with Paul. He has got it, 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 He overcomes his fear and he shares his testimony. So Paul does that. He's consistently obedient. Let's go back to the first part of verse 12 because I, I want to talk about Ananias for a second because he's important in our story. "'A man named Ananias came to see me. "'He was a devout observer of the law "'and highly respected by all the Jews living there.'" So Ananias is a devout Jewish man. That's important. He's a devout Jewish man who now has become a follower in Jesus. Now, it's it's 57 AD, so it's about 20, almost 25 years since Paul became a Christ follower. This story is about 25 years after the fact of Paul becoming a Christ follower. And, and he's in Damascus. It's Pentecost. So maybe some people from Pentecost, speculation, some p- people from uh, at Pentecost are from Damascus. And they go, oh, man, I remember that guy named Ananias. He was always at, the, at our, our synagogue. I remember that guy. Speculation. But Paul mentions him for a few reasons. He's a devout Jewish man. And then, secondly, he's a Jewish man who's become a believer. And then, thirdly, he's a witness to what happened. In the Mosaic Law, you need two witnesses for something to stand in court. So you got Ananias, you got Paul's companions, and now you got Paul. What he's saying is believable, verses 14 through 16. Then he, Ananias, said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you've seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. So he starts describing things in very Jewish terms. He's earning the right to be heard as he shares his testimony. The God of our fathers is a way for the Jewish people to refer to Yahweh. You're chosen, Paul. Well, that word chosen is important because the Jewish people were God's chosen people. And then he describes uh, the Messiah as the righteous one. That's very Jewish. That's how the Jewish people would describe the Messiah. It's how Stephen in Acts chapter 7 described Jesus, the righteous one. So the point is that Paul's commission from the Messiah Jesus came from a very devout Jewish man using very distinct Jewish terms. All of the disciples are trying to convince the Jewish people not to leave their faith, but that their faith, that Jesus completes their faith. So the crowd's tracking with him until it gets a little weird because he says you need to go and be baptized. Okay, for the Jewish people, you would never get baptized. In fact, why would a Pharisee like Saul get baptized? It makes no sense. Uh, Non-Jewish people, when they would become Jewish, would get baptized. That makes no sense. Well, Paul's doing it, he's given that command because it aligns him with Jesus. It's his public declaration of faith. That's why baptism is so important. Jesus commands us to be baptized. You know, go go to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be baptized. And it aligns us with God. It says, we say that we're on team Jesus when we get baptized. Okay, so Paul is now gonna show his allegiance to the Messiah over the Mosaic law, to Christ rather than the crowd. Let's keep on going, verses 17 through 21. The crowd's on edge because they're gonna watch now or hear now about Paul's conversion. Here we go. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Okay, so another vision. It's not a weird thing for them. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away. Hang on just a second. I will send you far away. Had Paul ended there, everything would have been fine. Probably the crowd would have dissipated because everything he said can be proved, everything, all of this stuff, the crowd is tracking with him. He's earned the right to be heard. But then he says these three words to the Gentiles to the Gentiles. When he drops that G-bomb, the crowd freaks out because what they're saying now is that the Messiah is saying, Jesus the Messiah is saying that it's a level playing field in front of the cross. No matter what junk is going on in your life, it doesn't matter how good you are, how well you perform, we're all broken in need of a Savior. We're all broken in need of Jesus the Messiah. For centuries upon centuries, the entrance to God the, the approaching of God came through the Mosaic law and through Judaism. And now then Paul's saying, no, uh-uh. Jesus, uh, the Messiah is saying it's different. It's a level playing field in front of the cross. Jesus flips the, crypt, the, the script. Paul could have left it out and all would have been fine. But he doesn't because he has to be honest about his relationship with Jesus. Folks, when you're honest about your relationship with Jesus, be prepared for Opposition. Be prepared for opposition. It happens, many of us have experienced this in our lives. We're honest about our relationship with Jesus. We receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, and we're telling people about that relationship, and all of a sudden, we're losing friends. We're having family members push hard against us. In some places, you could lose your job when they find out you're a Christ follower, and in some places, you will lose your life. It's happening in Afghanistan right now with the Christian church being martyred there. Obedience will always lead to opposition, but opposition will lead, for gro- lead to growth. It happens in the church, and it happens with us personally. So Paul is obedient. Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And when he says that, the crowd freaks out. Look at their response, verse 22. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. Paul is honest in his testimony. He doesn't embellish it, but he doesn't water it down. Dr. Chuck Swindoll said these words. He said, an honest testimony is our responsibility. A positive response is not. It's us to up to us to share our testimony, to show our hope in Jesus. And all of us have a testimony. Some of us have a, a really crazy testimony that, uh, you know, something crazy was going on and, and Jesus entered your life and flipped the script. Some of us, like me, it's, I realized I needed Jesus in my life, so I received him. The power of the testimony is what happens after that. What happens after that, what, how, how your life has changed with Jesus in your life. But what I've seen is, I, I, I've seen people like embellish their story. It's like a big fish story, you know, how Jesus came into your life, and it usually starts out with three words. There I was, there I was on Mount Baker, skiing down a quadruple black diamond when my ski hit a rock, like the solid rock on which I'm going to stand Jesus. I flipped in the air four times, landed on my back, and my skis landed in the shape of a cross in front of me, and I heard a small voice say, Kip, get up and get off this mountain and preach Jesus to the world. That's an embellishment. That's not being honest. So God calls us to lay out an honest testimony when we earn that right to be heard. Okay, so the crowd is freaking out at this time. Verses 23 and 24, because now Commander Claudius has had it. He's going to step in and throw down. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks, flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. Remember, they're at the, the fortress of Antonia on, on, on the barrack steps. He directed that he be flogged and questioned. Underline that. Some of your, your, your translations say scourge. We've got to geek out, Greek out on that in just a second in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. Okay, so Commander Claudius has no clue what's going on, probably. Most likely, he does not speak Hebrew or Aramaic. So he starts out with his patient's tank on probably three-quarters or a half, and he's feeling good because he's got Paul there. Things are going well, and then the crowd's going crazy, and his patient tank goes to E. So he's going to go back to what he knows how to do. He's going to extract information the old-fashioned way. So he orders Paul to be taken in and flogged. In the words of the great theologian Major Payne, he's going to (laughs) say, give me your finger. (laughs) Okay, two of you have seen that movie. Don't watch it with your kids. All right, that one won't make it into the next service. So he's going to bring Paul in to be flogged. So let's talk about flogged, uh, flogged and scourged. The, the Greek word there is mastizo. It's different than the, the word used for Jesus when he's flogged and scourged. Because mastizo, what you get from mastizo is a mastix. That's the whip, the name of the whip they'd use. The whip is like an Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom whip. And so they'd, they, they'd lay out the person, they'd stretch him out, and then they'd just start whipping him over and over and over. It caused intense pain, but it allowed for the victim to, to, to still be able to speak. With Jesus, it was different. They didn't use a mastique's because they weren't trying to get a confession from Jesus. They were simply trying to to, to cause pain. They use what's called a flagrum. It's a smaller whip. It's got uh, hooks on it. It's got bones on it. It's got metal on it. And the whole purpose is to rip off flesh, to cause great pain, to cause a loss of blood, to where the person would go into shock to save them from having to do uh, some form of crucifixion. Paul's amazing here. He reads the situation, and he drops another bomb. Look at this, verses 25 through 27. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion, now he's going to talk in Greek again, standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Gulp. When the centurion heard this, he soiled himself. Okay, it doesn't say that there, but I bet he did because this is a big deal. This could could mean the end of a career for a career military man. It could mean these guys could actually go to jail for it. He went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked, this man is a Roman citizen. The commander freaked out. He went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am. He answered, this is brilliant. Paul takes these senior leaders to the point of committing a major felony. In that time, if you were a Roman citizen, you had great privileges. It, you, if you were ever arrested for something, you had to go through a due process of law. The punishment always had to fit the crime, and it could never be humiliating. And if it was the death penalty, it had to be fast and as painless as possible, and again, could never be humiliating. We get a lot of our laws in Western society from these laws. So Paul takes commander Claudius to a point to where Paul now he's not not only earned the right to be heard he's controlled a chaotic situation let's keep on going verses 28 and 29 then the commander said I had to pay a big price for my citizenship but I was born a citizen Paul replied those who were about to question him withdrew immediately you could just see them like backing up yeah I got to go change the oil in my chariot I'm out of here The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. So Paul, he's established control, he's controlled the situation, he's earned the right to be heard. Now he says, oh, let me get you up on current events, Claude. Um, I'm a citizen by birth, you're a citizen by bribe. Oh, guess who spoke to all these people? Not you, and guess who has committed a major league crime even by taking me to be flogged? Yeah, that's you. The next verse would say that Paul would be released. He'd be brought back in the next day to stand in front of the Jewish council and thus would begin his all-expense-paid trip to Rome over the next few years that we would see now in the last few weeks as we look at the book of Acts. Okay, so those are for uh, another sermon another time. So what I want to do is I want to land this plane. I want to land this plane well because it's been a smooth flight so far, right? Not too much turbulence. The major pain thing didn't work out like I thought it would, but that's okay. A little bit of turbulence there. So let me land... This plane, and, and I want us to get very practical, and it's about the power of a testimony, folks. We are living in some of the weirdest times I've ever seen. I've been a student of history for many, many years. I have never seen the craziness going on in this world like it is now. Peter said, "These are the last days." Now, that last days always refer to the time of Jesus's resurrection until the time of Jesus' return. But Jesus said, you're going to know the season. You're not going to, go to know the day. You're going to know the season. There's going to be all sorts of crazy weather things going on. Wow, that's, that's wild. All sorts of natural disasters, earthquakes, fires, things of that nature. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. Now more than ever is the time that we need to have our stuff together with our walk with Jesus. Jesus. Now more than ever is the time in which we need to share Jesus with others, share our hope in these difficult times. Because as we see the world falling apart, Jesus holds all things together. Now many of you this week have received horrific news, um, news of uh, uh, on the health front, on the job front, on the career front, on you name the front. And I ask you, where is your hope? Because that's what's important about a testimony. Where? is your hope your hope has to be in jesus you have you're at a key time in your life right now to share jesus in a very special way with someone or some group of people you have a right to be heard with so what i want to do now is i want to talk about this thing called a testimony a lot of its review but some of it may be new for some of you okay so let's look at this when it comes to sharing your testimony there's the big three The big three. It's my life before Jesus, my encounter with Jesus, and now how my life has changed with Jesus in my life. And that last part is so important because people look at us when times are difficult especially to see how we deal with it so we had our easter services a whole bunch of keep people came to christ it was pretty awesome and then after that we decided to have a series on discipleship called growing the last week in that series we covered this thing called engage in relationships it's one of our discipleship goals and basically here's what we think we look at at cornwall church you can stand on a street corner with a bullhorn and say turn and burn and that's That's one way of sharing Jesus. You can hand out tracts. That's one way of sharing Jesus. But you can also develop a relationship with someone. You can earn the right to be heard in their life to speak into some of the most difficult areas. That's engaging in relationships. So in that last week of that series, Pastor Brian interviewed Pastor Randy. Pastor Randy's amazing at this. He teaches a class on it called Engage in Relationships. We're actually doing a class on it. You can sign up at Cornwall Church online. We're doing it at middle and end of October in person and online so pastor randy gave us some hints some things we could be doing as we share our testimony as we earn that right to be heard so you develop a relationship with someone and there's some things some questions that we need to ask ourselves first of all we need to ask ourselves what's my what's the nature of the relationship with this person does that person know that i'm for him or her that you're for him or her that that you're not uh, trying to just look at them as a project Have you shared that you are for them and that you know their story? Have you shared with them your challenges of faith? And when you were seeking Jesus, what were the conditions that were going on in your life? Were there books that you read? Was there a a passage in the Bible? Was there someone who spoke with you? Were you going to a church? Or did you watch some TV show about Jesus and God grabbed you? What, What happened? And then with that, when you received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, be honest about it, what happened? I mean, I've shared my testimony many times here. I want Jesus in my life. I need him. Nothing really big, but the big thing has been the life change afterwards. How has your life changed with Jesus in your life? If you've received Jesus as your Savior and Lord and you've been walking with him for a while, I I would just, if you haven't seen life change in your life, you probably need to have a conversation with Jesus because he gets into your heart and he wants that transformation. So how has your life changed? And you tell your story. And you walk with the person. If they say, man, I want nothing to do with that, okay. I'm still going to walk with you because you're a friend. And you walk with that person. You leave all of the stuff up to God to sort out whatever the results are. So back to Bruce Olson. Bruce Olson is, has been with the Mottalone Indians for several years. Things are going well, and then uh, there's a, a, a communist insurgency and civil war that breaks out in Colombia. So the, the, the insurgents think they can get the Mottalone territory by going through Bruce. So they go to Bruce, and they say, here's the deal, man. Tell the Mottalone people that we're going to kill you and, and kill them if, if they don't turn over their territory to us. And he says, I can't do that their family. I won't do that. So they, they capture him, they beat him, and they put him in a prison camp in the middle of the jungle. He's there for 10 months. So he's in the prison camp, and he says, well, you know, it worked out the last time for me that, that I just started living out the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to pray a lot. I already know their language, so that's a step ahead. And, and, and so he starts treating them with great respect and honor. And what happens is, eventually, a couple of the guards come to him, and they say, hey, you can read. Can you teach us to read? We got some pamphlets here, these, these communist propaganda pamphlets. Get, teach us how to read these. He says, no, man, I've got something better. Those are a few hundred words. I've got a book that has tens of thousands of words in it. Let me teach you how to read that. So he teaches them to read the Bible. He has Bible studies, and all of a sudden, at the end of 10 months, they end up releasing him because he's, he, they're like, why do we even have this guy here? Sixty of the insurgents have become 60 have become Christ's followers and laid down their weapons. It's the power of a testimony. And don't you see this teaching today? It's really the tale of two testimonies. You know, we got Bruce Olsen, our man Bruce, but then you also have our man Paul. Two testimonies, two different men, 2,000 years apart, give or take some years. Same Jesus. Their convictions about their calling preceded their actions. And their actions overcame their fear, their, their, their fear because Jesus gave them the courage for the calling. Think about this. Bruce Olson. He starts out as a punk teenager and then he has this encounter with Jesus. He answers God's call. He walks in the dirt with a boatload of people. He reflects Jesus in all he does, living life with them at great danger to himself. And in the end... Lives are changed eternally. His hope overcame his fear. He earned the right to be heard. His hope overcame his fear. He was obedient in his calling. Then let's look at our man Paul. Starts out as a learned Pharisee named Saul. He encounters Jesus. He answers God's call. He walks in the dirt with countless people, reflecting Jesus and all he did at great danger to himself and those around him. And the result is that lives are changed eternally. He was obedient to his calling. He had earned the right to be heard. His hope overcame his fear to live it out. Two men, same Jesus. And there's really a third testimony in here. And that testimony's yours. Testimony's yours, it's testimony's mine. And what I want us to do and get very practical for a challenge this week, here's your challenge this week. Your challenge is, I want you to pray through, think through, and write out your testimony. Pray through, think through, and write it out. And before you guys click off online, wait, he said, I gotta write it out. Nope, I'm gone. This is why I want you to write it out. Something happens when you sit down with a piece of paper or at your computer and just say, okay, here's how God entered my life. I heard all those questions Kip talked about. And you start writing that out. Then how did it really happen? How did, I just, was it something, you know, crazy or how did I receive Jesus? And most importantly, what am I doing right now with Jesus? How has my life changed? And I want you to write it out. No more than two pages. Find someone who knows you well who's a Christ follower. Sit down with them and say, hey, here's what happened. Am I on track with this? Because I don't see any life change in my life. No, dude, I see big life change. You were such a loser before you met Jesus. Okay, maybe that's not the best way, but your heart needs to be open for a tough conversation. And then memorize it. Here's what's amazing. God is going to give you a time to share that testimony. And when you do, you may have some butterflies. You may have a few jitters. But the beautiful thing about it is if you trust him, He will give you the courage to share Jesus with others, to point them to the hope you have in Jesus, especially in these chaotic times. And God's gonna move, but you gotta be obedient to that calling.